Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. Whether you're a longtime follower of Christ or just beginning to explore who Jesus is, we invite you to join us as we dive deep into God's Word and what He has to teach us today. So listen in as we jump into what God has in store. Well, good morning, church family. As we continue in this second week in our series, Live in Love, we are going to introduce you at every week of this series to an amazing couple here in the life of our church. And this is Mike and Angela White. And Mike serves as the CFO of Rolling Hills and has been on our staff for a little over a year, almost two years. And Angela is serving in so many capacities, it would take up all of our time if I shared with you everything that Angela does in the life of our church. But I'd love for you guys to just share with us this morning. First of all, how did you meet? Well, we met back in the 1900s, actually. So, uh, it, uh, she grew up at First Baptist Church Nashville, and I joined the church after I graduated college, and I met her. And so we, uh, I was part of the, we, back then we called it the singles ministry, and we, I was kind of in charge of putting some programs together and, and decided to do a ski trip, a, a, a day ski trip out to East Tennessee. And influenced her to go along with me and uh so we we she was on the bunny slope and i was trying to show off on the on the black diamonds and i didn't do very well but uh, she still stuck around with me and when we got back we started dating after that and so we've been married 30 years now as of last september and have a 26 year old daughter who attends here owns her faith also and here we are. Wonderful. Well, marriage has highs and lows, and we've been talking about that. I'm going to keep talking about it in this series. So I'd love for you guys to share with us what is your biggest joy in marriage and what's your biggest challenge. Okay, I'll take the joy. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> um, for me in marriage, the biggest joy really is that just that life partner, that built-in best friend, um, somebody I can laugh with and cry with, talk about anything um, and everything. I know he has my back, that I can trust him. Um, it's just, you know, we've put in the work over 30 years, um, put in the effort, and now really reaping those benefits. It's just uh, our relationship is comfortable and it's easy. It's not perfect, but we really have a lot of fun. And so you've given Mike the challenge, right? I mean, what, 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 Mike, Mike, then what are some of the challenges yeah. in, in marriage? Yeah, I found out it's me, evidently. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, no, it really is. Uh, the challenge is really us. It, we, we sometimes we forget about the other. We forget about Philippians chapter 2 that has to consider others as better than yourselves. And sometimes I start focusing on myself and she focuses on herself and we forget about us and we forget about what God's doing in our life. So it really is the, the inward focus where we start thinking only of ourselves, and that's where the problems become yeah. in our lives. And that we, but the great thing is, we, I mean, Angela's real good about it, but we. You know, we're committed. It's, it's the covenant relationship that God has with us. It's the same covenant relationship we have with each other. We just keep coming back to the table during those times and work things out. That's awesome. Well, last question. How, how would you guys say and what encouragement would you give to us about how you have kept Jesus at the center of your marriage for these 30 years? Sure, that's a great question. Um, for us, it started early on. We went to a uh, couples workshop, and they tasked, one of the tasks was to develop a family mission statement. Um, So we did ours in little bullet points, but one of the bullets was that church would not be a choice. And what we meant by that was when we bump up to the weekend, it's not, do we want to go to church or do we want to do this other thing? Um, That little square on the calendar was just not something that a substitute could be made for. And so because we did um, 
commit to that early on and, and make that be the fab, part of the fabric of our relationship. Um, over the years, we've, we've studied the Word together, we've worshiped together, prayed together, been able to serve together, um, be in, in community groups with fellow believers. So every step along the way, as we've grown closer to Christ, we've also grown closer to each other. That's awesome. Thanks, Angela. Yeah. It, you, it, and out of that, that, that base discipline we put in place, which was really worked well for us, that, that discipline turned us more into a relationship. As we grew in our faith, as we grew closer to Christ, we grew closer together. And that, that discipline, the structure and that, that we wanted to establish our family with turned into a relationship with Christ where we just grew deeper and deeper with him. And now our conversation is not about what do we want to do. It's about what does God want to do through us and in us. And, 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 and it's, a day, it's a daily conversation. So it's mm-hmm. with our relationship, with our relationship with our daughter and how we manage life now, it is not just us. It's about Christ. It's yes. just about Christ. That's awesome. Well, I just want to thank you guys. You all are both an inspiration to me, and I, I, I love you guys. And I'm so thankful for the wisdom that you shared with our congregation. And I want you guys to give Mike and Angela a big round of applause. Thank you guys for your willingness to share. I don't know if you know this or not, but it's not easy to come up on a stage in front of a bunch of people and answer a question about what's the hardest part about your life. And to have the honesty to say, um, we are the hardest part about our lives when we get in the way. And so each week, we hope that you're going to be encouraged by not only some of these stories, but encouraged by what God's going to teach us through the Word. Now, I love being your pastor. And as a pastor, I get the privilege and I get the opportunity to be a part of a lot of life events with people. And some of those life events include things like promotions and new babies and engagements and accomplishments of your children. I also get the privilege of being there for some of the harder life events, maybe the losses that you go through. But one of my favorite life events that I get to walk with people through is this beautiful institution of a husband and wife joining together for the first time in marriage. And I've been in full-time pastoral ministry for over 15 years, and I've seen a lot of weddings. I've been to a lot of weddings. I have stories for days for another time uh, that I could tell you about. But if you've been to a lot of weddings like I have been to, you probably see some trends at weddings. Uh, The first of which is that couples spend a lot of money on things that are completely unnecessary. So we'll start there. Uh, Secondly, uh, family drama tends to be elevated at these significant events. We always have uh, the mother of the groom who tends to be a little bit punchy because she doesn't think that anybody is going to take as good a care of her son as she has. And then inversely, you have the father of the groom who is just thrilled that somebody would want his son. But often in the middle of these ceremonies, couples will want me to read a passage of Scripture, or they'll have a friend come up and read a passage of Scripture from the chapter of the Bible that they think was put there just for their wedding day. And it comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. It's a beautiful scripture, isn't it? It's so rich. However, if you think that God put this here for us just so that we could have a cute poem about love for your wedding, you would be wrong. This is, in fact, a portion of a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth to help them course-correct some areas in their life where they were very much off base. 
And so I have taken some creative liberties here, but this is a little bit more of a, a literal paraphrase of what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about, and I put it in letter form for you. Dear Corinthian church, I hope this letter finds you well. Just in case you didn't know, there are believers within your midst who are continually boasting, are really puffed up, and are what I would like to call arrogant. Many of the Corinthian believers know they are wrong, but they won't admit when they are wrong. They are saying to themselves instead, there is no way I could be wrong. You are the one who needs to change. There are also those within the church who are unwilling to suffer with one another and bear with one another's burdens. Instead of being there for one another, they are saying, you have a problem. You need to take care of that yourself. There are some in the church who care so much about their own personal benefit that they're unwilling to compromise, though someone else is being hurt. For example, some in your midst insist on eating meat, even though their eating meat is very offensive to others. And so instead of challenging their behavior, they've adopted an attitude of, you just need to get over it. Many within your church are also envious and jealous as they're comparing their spiritual gifts to one another, even though they have been taught that everyone has a spiritual gift and no one is better or holier because they can speak in tongues, for example. Maybe you're just too close to the situation and you can't see it, but I just thought you should know, I think you can do much better. Signed, Paul, a concerned church planter. Now, I in no way am trying to offend all of you all who had this passage read at your wedding. So before you throw something at me, just calm down. It's a good verse of Scripture. It's very relevant. You're, you're, you're still married. It's God's Word and it's good. But this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, this love chapter really isn't this ooey-gooey text, but rather it's a wake-up call for the church about what really matters. And it's a wake-up call for us about the importance of love. And it's a wake-up call for us about love above everything else. So then, is this a text then that's relevant for a sermon on love, marriage, dating, and relationships? It absolutely is. But just know that this, again, was not some poem that served as just a cute little reminder about love, but rather it's a difficult teaching that God gives us to understand some course correction, and it was meant to challenge us. And in fact, Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church to kind of help them do some major work in their hearts. In fact, this was going to cause the church at Corinth to squirm a little bit. And as I have studied this, and as you have studied this, and as we hear it read and preached today, it may cause some of us to squirm a little bit, and that's okay, because God wants us to grow in this most important value that we have, love, to grow in the love of Christ and to grow in our love for other people. So let's go back to the beginning and pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, <clears throat> but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Because love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, and it is not proud. See, one of the primary concerns of Corinthian believers one of the primary reasons that Paul penned this letter, God delivered this to Paul and he brings it to the church, is that they were arguing. Now, I know that you've never been a part of a group of people who argued, right? Every time you're together with people, you guys always just get along, right? And everybody always is, you know, kind of meeting the needs of one another. But they were arguing. And what they were arguing over particularly is who is better than who? 
Whose giftedness is better than the other person? There's one person saying, I think I'm better than you. No, I think I'm better than you. I have this gift and you don't have this gift. Nah, 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 nah. And we laugh, but think about the last social setting that you have been in. Think about some of the things that you see posted on social media. It's been my experience, maybe like yours, that we're kind of suffocating under a comparison trap, aren't we? To where we look at other people's giftedness, or we look at other people's abilities, and we say, I wish I was more like them. Or you feel bad because you're not as good as they are. Or you don't think you're as talented as they are. Or maybe you hold it over someone's head that you're better than them. In marital situations, sometimes one partner in the marriage is comparing themselves to someone else and they say, well, I wish you were just a little bit more like me. And what Paul is saying in this moment is if you lean into that line of thinking, you're letting what I like to call the tail wag the dog. You have the order wrong. Because as you see here on your notes, a gift or a talent or an ability without love will never accomplish what the Lord intends it to. It's why love conquers all. Any gift, any talent, any ability that you have without love will never accomplish what the Lord wants it to. He says you can have a gift of prophecy. You can have a gift of faith. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but without love, you are nothing in marriage. You can hold it over your spouse's head that you make more money than they do. Or maybe there's a silent power play that's going on in your relationship and you're competing against one another, but know that according to the Bible, those gifts and those abilities without love is like hitting a clanging cymbal. I'm not going to do it this morning, but if I took a drumstick and just hit that cymbal for the next 25 minutes while I was trying to preach to you, it would not be a very good effect. And all of the gifts and all of the abilities without love is basically like that. See, so love trumps giftedness all day, every day, and it always will. And what the Word of God is doing here is it's challenging us to evaluate why we do the things that we do particularly in the context of our gifts and abilities. And we're reminded that without love, whatever you're doing is actually nothing. Without love, it's just a clanging cymbal. It's me drumming in the air. I gain nothing. Nothing is accomplished. Meaning, as you see here on your notes, that the right thing with the wrong motivation is still wrong. (laughs) The right thing with the wrong motivation is still wrong. And this was pretty eye-opening for me, and maybe it is for you, because, see, doing the right things according to Scripture without love doesn't make it right. If I'm nothing and I have all the faith in the world and all the ability to prophesy in the world, but I don't have love, then what the scripture says is I have gained nothing. I gain nothing if I give all that I have without love. And maybe some of this teaching sounds familiar to you to the teachings of Jesus because Jesus actually taught us this. Jesus was pretty quick to call out in other people this religious behavior. In fact, he had a lot to say to the religious leaders who were trying to make themselves look better than they really were. And he would go to the Pharisees and they would pray on the street corners to make themselves sound really, really smart. And Jesus said, I hope that that felt really good. That moment, that acknowledgement that you felt better than everybody else, I hope that that felt really, really good because that's all the reward that you're going to get. But yet, he profiled those who were humble And he profiled those who said, I don't have to be out in front of everybody else so that they can see my righteous deeds. That's the person that was celebrated by Jesus, the person who was operating out of love and who was leading from a posture of love. Maybe you're experiencing this in a relationship as we speak. You're saying all the right things and you're doing all the right things, but you're not doing them with the right motivation. Maybe your motivation in your relationship right now is to remind your spouse how much better you are than them. Or maybe your motivation is to remind them how far you have come and how far they still need to come. 
And honestly, friends, you might be right. You might be further along than they are. But if your motivation is to remind them how much better you are than them, you've gained nothing, according to Scripture. It doesn't matter, because without love, you're actually showing how far you truly need to grow yourself. And so what are these characteristics of love that I need to grow in? What are these, these teaching that, that we've give, been given here by God about how to grow in love? Well, let's go back to verse 4, because this is kind of the meat of chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. These reminders of what love is. It says, love is patient. I'll wait there for a second and let the dramatic effect fall over the crowd. Anybody need to be reminded that love is patient? Just me? Thank you. No one. Thank you, no one, no one for acknowledging that you're impatient like I am. Uh, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So what we can glean from this passage of Scripture about love is, is two things. And I, and I want you to write these down. To grow in love is to grow in selflessness. To live in love, to grow in love, it is to grow in selflessness. And to grow in arrogance is to grow in selfishness. Big difference between selflessness and selfishness, isn't there? To grow in love is to grow in selflessness, and to grow in arrogance is to grow in selfishness. Now, this Greek word for love here in 1 Corinthians, Pastor Jeff hit this last week, it's agape. And agape is this unconditional type of love that is so selfless. In fact, it's the type of love that Jesus showed to us by giving us his life. It's the power of the gospel. Jesus died so that you and I could have life. And his death accomplished for you what you can never accomplish for yourself, freedom from sin and an eternity with him. That is the agape love that Jesus showed us. But see, no price could ever fully be paid to show us that type of love. That agape love is sacrificial. And that agape love is not based on how you feel, or that agape love is not based on how convenient it is. See, to be driven by agape love is to be uh, having the understanding that this love has a very high cost to it. And it's going to require me in my life to realign everything about my life. And I have to reframe everything about my life to make my life truly about God and other people. To the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, listen to what Paul says. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. <clears throat> Love your neighbor as yourself. And that in phrase, the entire law, that's a throwback to all the Old Testament laws, of which there were hundreds, rules and regulations. But the key ingredient of the Old Testament law, right there in Leviticus 19.18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. See, Jesus Christ himself taught us when he was quizzed by the religious leaders, what are the most important rules? The two most important commandments, he says, are to love God and love people. So see, love is the central message of Jesus Christ. Love is the central message of the church. Love is the golden nugget. Love is that be-all, end-all of our faith journey. However, just like the Corinthians, we have the same problems growing in love like they did, don't we? This doesn't come as natural to us. This doesn't come just super easy for us. Because what Paul is doing here is very interesting. In verses 4 through 7 particularly, what he's doing is he's using the attitudes and the behaviors of the Corinthians, and he's comparing them against the characteristics of agape love. And he's saying, let me give you some insight into how you're living, 
And let me compare that against the agape love of Jesus Christ. For example, he said, love is not boastful. Well, what attitude were the Corinthians adopting in terms of their spiritual gifts? They were adopting an attitude of boastfulness, and they were saying, my giftedness is better than yours. I am holier than you are. And Paul says, no, love doesn't boast. Everyone has a spiritual gift. You're not holier than she is because of that giftedness. Love does not dishonor others. Love does not delight in evil. What were the Corinthians doing? They were being completely blind to the fact that some of the foods that they were eating were causing other people to stumble. They were also turning a blind eye and a deaf ear to the members in the church who were living in immorality. And instead of addressing them about it, they just joined in with them on that. And Paul's saying, that's not love. Love is not to dishonor. Love is not to delight in evil. But rather, love is to delight in what's good, and love is to bring honor to other people. And so Paul says, love is marked then by patience, and love is marked by kindness, and love does not have a tinge of arrogance with it. Love is not conceited, and love is not concerned about getting revenge. See, that, my friends, is a kind of love that requires a huge price for us to pay. And that requires something of us. And we have to make the determination here and now if we're willing to pay that price in our relationships. If you're dating, if you're married, even in your friendships, are you willing right now to pay the huge price that comes with adopting an agape type of love? I have to determine, do I want these characteristics of love to be what my life is about or do I want my life to be about myself and about my own needs? And so if you take these characteristics of love one by one, as outlined in verses 4 through 7, I'm encouraging you this morning to be honest with yourself and take note of which of these do you need to grow in the most? Which of these is kind of the pinch point for you? And my, my, my belief is that for some of us, self-included, a lot of them are probably a pinch point. A lot of them might make us squirm a little bit. In fact, maybe I'm going to ask you to, to do this. Answer this question. What needs to die inside of you in order to love this kind of way? What needs to change about you in order to love this kind of way? Starting with love is patient. See, if I want to grow in my understanding of love as patient, then I have to die to my desire for things to always work out according to my timetable. Love is patient means that I have to die to that desire for things to always work out on my timetable. Love is kind means that I have to die to my bad attitude. Love does not envy means that I have to die to my desire to keep up with everyone and rather to be fully content with what I have. Love does not boast means that I have to desire, die to my desire to always call attention to myself. Love is not proud means that I have to die to that desire to make everything about me. Love does not dishonor others means that I have to die to that critical spirit that I may have about other people. Love is not self-seeking means that I have to die to that desire to truly make everything about me. Love is not easily angered means that I have to die to my desire to be frustrated when things do not go my way. Love keeps no record of wrongs means that I have to die to all of the things that I'm holding on to from the past. And love finds no joy in evil means that I have to die to my desire to continue living in sin and to care enough about people to step into their lives when they are headed down a path of destruction. See, many in the church in Corinth, they were not willing to pay the high price of love. 
And so they went the way of the world, even though Paul said, and God revealed to him, that this is the most important thing that you should desire. It's not the giftedness that you should desire, but it's this posture and attitude of love. And so how about you and how about me? Was there one that you identified with the most? Was there one that you identified with that you said, I need to grow in that area the most? Maybe for some of us, it was love keeps no records of wrongs. This is huge for a lot of us, self-included. Is it possible that the marital tension that you might be experiencing right now is rooted in the fact that you're keeping score and that you have this mental list in your brain where you have remembered everything that he has done and you've remembered everything that you haven't liked about what he has done and only when he does enough good to get him out of the negative will you forgive him and let go of that record of wrongs. Or maybe you're holding on to something so tightly that she said to you years ago that really diminished your manhood. And it didn't make you feel like you were a good provider. And instead of saying, love tells me to not keep a record of that anymore, you have kept a record of what was said to you a few years ago. And maybe it's to a point right now where you're saying, you know what, I'm going to entertain a little bit more flirtatious behavior with someone else who makes me feel different than she does. Because they've never diminished me like she has. They've never dishonored me like she has. And you're saying, but pastor, you don't understand the situation that we are in right now. And you know what? That's exactly right. I don't understand the situation that you're in. But I do understand the Word of God. And what the Word of God says is that to live in love is not to keep a record of wrongs. And to live in love is not to keep a tally sheet of all the times that I have been wronged. It also says that love is not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. See, to live in love is to make that conscious choice to say, you know what? I'm not going to make everything about me. I'm not going to make everything about me. I'm afraid a lot of us wake up every day thinking about ourselves, which is not inherently bad. Until I have had my second cup of coffee, I am only thinking about myself. (laughs) But the problem is, many of us don't transition out of that. We wake up thinking about ourselves, and then around noontime, we're still thinking about ourselves, and then we finish the day thinking about ourselves, and then days pass, and weeks pass, and years pass, And instead of living a life that's God-focused and others-focused, we've lived a life that has become me-focused. I've become the center of the universe. My needs have become more important than anything else. My getting what I want when I want it has become my primary objective to the extent that I think I should have a different set of rules than you have, to the extent that I should always have everyone else bend to my request and to my needs. And instead of growing in love... If we're not careful, we grow in what I like to call entitlement. And unless you're living under a rock, I do not have to remind you that the epidemic of entitlement is sweeping across our community. And it's sweeping across our churches. And it's sweeping across our schools. And it's sweeping across our Instagram pages. And it's sweeping across our youth sports leagues. And sadly, friends, it's sweeping across our homes to where we're becoming less and less interested in agape love and more and more interested in me. Whereas to live in love is to make the choice that says, I'm not going to start my day from a place of thinking about myself first, but thinking about others. Imagine I-24 on a Monday morning if everybody was thinking about others. You could merge. 
Imagine Nolensville Road at 5 p.m. on Tuesday afternoon when I'm trying to make a left turn out of the church. People would actually be clamoring to let me out, to serve me. Imagine a home where we chose to start from an attitude of trust and sacrifice instead of mistrust and selfishness. See, this has actually been a problem from A.D. 60 when this letter was written until now. So if you struggle with this, you're in good company throughout the past couple thousand years. The Word of God actually gives us a phrase to understand this kind of behavior. The Word of God gives us a phrase to understand this me-first attitude and this desire to say, I am most important and I get what I want when I want it. I keep a record of everything that you've done against me. Do you know what the Bible calls it? The Bible doesn't call it loving. The Bible doesn't call it wise. Do you know what the Bible calls it? The Bible actually calls it childish. And some pastors take a lot of joy in being really hard on their people. And trust me, that is not me. I take little joy in delivering a a message to you that might make you squirm or that might step on your toes a little bit. Now, I have no problem speaking the truth of God. I have no issue with calling sin, sin. I think it's really important for a pastor to be truthful with his people. I also think it's equally important to embody Jesus in all that we say and do because Jesus' ministry was all about speaking the truth, but he was doing it in a way that was incredibly loving, filled with the agape love and very kind and respectful to the person, hence why 1 Corinthians 13 is a passage of Scripture that you should study later and that you should commit to memory. But also, this word is here not to always make us feel good but to remind us of the areas that we need some course correction. And so what God revealed to us in this word is that to live for yourself is to live like a child. To live for yourself is to live like a child. Now, some of you have children, and all of us have been around children. I have two beautiful children. I love my children. I would die for my children. There is nothing that I would not do for them. And I have this beautiful 10-year-old daughter. And y'all, I'm just telling you, she has a little place in my heart that is reserved for her. And nobody else will ever get there. It is just this little recess of my heart that I just think she just lights up the room. And I just can't wait to see what God does in her life. But y'all, she is as slow as molasses. (laughs) And... She is 100% of the time the reason that we're late. (laughs) But also 100% of the time, she's mad at the rest of us for being late. And the irony in this, we'll be waiting in the kitchen for her, and somehow it's still our fault that we're late for school. Go figure. You know, but at this point, it's frustrating, and we address it, and we laugh about it, and we pray about it, and pray that it starts to click, and I'm frustrated with it now. But, you know, I have to remind myself, this is a child being a child. The problem is when we grow out of childhood, but we don't grow out of our childish ways. And this is what Paul is hitting at. Head back with me to the text in verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we only see a reflection as in a mirror. And then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Can we all agree that when kids act like kids, you understand it? It frustrates me when people don't let kids be kids. Kids are kids. 
They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do things that you don't want them to do. But when I, as a grown man, act like a child, we don't excuse that. Or when a grown woman acts like a child, the scripture is saying we put away those childish things as we mature in the agape love of Jesus Christ. Paul says when you and I grow up in our faith, we leave all of those ways of childhood behind. Meaning that to grow in our relationships, there might be some childish behaviors that we need to leave behind. There might be be some me attitudes that we need to die to. In fact, in your relationships right now, if you always get what you want when you want it, if you're never content, if you think that you're better than everybody else, if you only think about yourself, if you keep a record of everything that everyone has done against you, then there might be some freedom this morning the Lord is wanting you to experience. And there might be some goodness of God that he is wanting you to experience today that will catapult your relationship with Christ into a level that you've never experienced before because you realize what Jesus has done for you and because what Jesus has done for you, you can't help but lift your hands and praise him and say, I want to shower love upon everyone because I realize what has been given to me. The greatest of these is love, meaning I can have all the giftedness in the world, but without love, I am nothing. I can have all the prophecy, I can have all the abilities, I can have all the money in the world, I can give a fortune away, but without love, it is meaningless. Because God says love never fails. And so this morning, why don't we cling to what never fails? Because what does the world tell you to cling to? The world tells you to cling to everything that's going to be temporal. And the world says cling to everything that brings you momentary pleasure here and now. But the word of God says cling to what never fails. Put away the ways of childhood and grow in maturity in your walk with the Lord and in your relationships with one another. And so this morning, I want to close our time together by reading this list one more time. And by way of response, I want you to close your eyes. And I I want you to just try to drown out what's happening around you for just the next minute. And I'm going to simply say again to you from the Word of God what love is. And if you're struggling to grow in one of these specific areas of love today, will you be so bold to ask God to change your heart there? Will you be so bold to say, God, I need a heart change there in that moment. And so with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, pray that God would give you maybe a new perspective or a new attitude in a specific area of your life that you need to grow in. Because what is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. Love never 
fails. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you want to learn more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.